Hello, it's Zoe Routh, and this is the Zoe Routh Leadership Podcast, and we have a special bonus episode for you today, uh, because if you haven't noticed, there's a lot going on in the world, and I thought, you know what? It's good to riff with somebody else you have a lot in common with, who's got a different point of view, to talk about and help digest some of this stuff. And so my guest and colleague on the show is Tim Collings. Tim Collings was on the show earlier, and we interviewed him, and I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to that particular episode. He is the one of the founders of 4i Leadership, and he is the host and producer of Better World Leaders podcast. It's another awesome leadership podcast show. And on the show today, we riff about U.S. politics. We get down and dirty about what our reactions were to that, what we're seeing in terms from a bigger picture leadership point of view, and what we might do if we were advising the president or the new president and their team. Plus, there's a really interesting anecdote about dominatrix towards the end. <laughs> so hang out for that. I hope you enjoy this conversation between colleagues and gives you some insight on what to do when things go a bit crazy around the world. Let's do it. Tim, oh my goodness, so good to be talking with you about all things leadership. Actually, it's not all things leadership. It's all things leadership in U.S. politics. And I really want to know, as a leadership expert, what's what's your reaction to the U.S. election? So, well, first of all, thank you, Zoe, and it, it is great to be back together again. Like, I mean, this is just such a prominent debate issue, point of focus, pain for so many people around the world. And it's been one that I've been paying acute attention to because we have one of our lead team based in Los Angeles. I've got clients, you know, the stateside, both Aussies that have then moved over there and Americans, either that we got introduced to when they were located in Asia or that we've onboarded as clients over there. So it's been an active, you know, sort of springboard of conversation for us all the way through from from the election ramp up. And it's obviously not yet over as a debate as we speak, you know, in, in November. So to answer your question, my reaction to it has been a bit of a spectrum of reaction. I think I think early on, you know, there was a lot of optimism, right? That, you know, seemingly a change was likely and that a change of leadership in any realm, you know, is likely to lead to a different outcome. And certainly from where I stand, I think a change of leadership in the US is, is only going to be a good thing. And that was mainly mirrored, you know, certainly amongst our team and our network and our and for the most part our client base as well. And there were just really a few of our clients who who were advocating for a continuity. But it's just been that optimism then changed to, I would say, confusion really about all of the, you know, sort of dust that's been kicked up and the lack of of, of sort of real clarity of of go forward, at least at, at this exact moment in time. But then also a real challenge in trying to reconcile and relate to these very polemic, you know, sort of sides of the debate that we now find, particularly in America. And as a leadership expert, there seems to be, you know, a huge swathe of people who, who think that leadership's all really about that and, and a different but almost equally large swathe of people who think that leadership is all about this. And that divide, I think, is particularly interesting right now. I, like, let's dig into that. I mean, my personal reaction was surprise. 
And I think it was echoed a lot with the Biden supporters. They were surprised that they didn't get a blue wave. They were surprised that there was so much enduring and growing support for Trump. And I think they were baffled by that, disappointed, obviously, and baffled. And from my point of view, looking over it, I was surprised as well. And I think this is always a clue when we start asking ourselves that question. How can they believe that? <laughs> How can they believe in Trump? How can they believe in the Republican movement? How can they not see what we see? As soon as we start saying things like that, it's an indicator that we've become a little blinkered. And so that made me pause for a second. I'm like, oh, hang on a minute. Why am I asking these types of questions? These are not helpful questions because there is an implied judgment in the people who do line up, as you say, to this or that. If they line up to this and that's what I believe, then that's good. And if they don't, then they're wrong. And that's when we start to have divisions and binary discussions and, and, and cannot progress constructively. So that was my first reaction was, what? <laughs> How can? Oh. <laughs> and then figuring out, okay, so what's going on in this country? What is it that people are signing up for when they support Trump ideals? Or what is it they sign up for when they're supporting Democrat and Biden ideals? And that's led me into interesting reflections on looking below the surface and what are the drivers and the patterns that we're seeing. So before I share what I'm seeing, what are you seeing in, in the this or that kind of equation? Yeah, no, thank you for sharing. And uh, yeah, I agree with it, with everything you said in terms of the surprise and, and yeah, the, the majority of people that I've been interacting with, yeah, they would have put money on the table for 50 blue states, right? Like I think that certainly the dialogue over the last sort of three, four months has basically been, let's not be presumptuous, but this is a foregone conclusion and it's going to be a whitewashing or a bluewashing, which clearly wasn't the outcome. So I think in, in the this and that, you know, I think to my perspective and what I'm seeing about leadership in particular in that, you know, being Trump and the Republicans and this being Biden and the Democrats, I think there's there's a couple of things. I think in the contrast between short-termism and sort of more strategic thinking, I think in terms of advocating for individualism and protectionism and then advocating for I'm simplifying terms in the extreme here, but unity and togetherness and sort of collectivization, right? So so hang on a second. Let me just check something. So you're saying Trumpism is short-term and democratic ideals are long-term. That's sort of the first assessment, short-term versus long-term? I think that's a big part of it, certainly in terms of the paradigm. And so specifically for business, uh, if I look at where, you know, so Trump versus Biden are focused on different parts of the economy, and business is making a contribution. I think Trump seems to be all right now and sort of what's in it for us, us being his base. And I would interpret Biden as being more about now and how does now benefit us in the long term and then having a you know, sort of a more visionary approach to his leadership in terms of you know, setting up for the future and making the future better and legacy and so forth. I agree with that. With that assessment. And I think your next comment about individual versus collective is also a really poignant one. That's one that I've been gnawing over as well, because the United States has a long history and meme of the self-made man. And that if you just put your mind to it and put a bit of effort in, you can achieve the American dream. This sort of individual achievement thing 
is very much ingrained in the American identity and persona. And uh, it's worked well to a point and then it started to fail because America became a very complex nation and individualism hasn't always served everybody. In fact, it's failing many. And uh, I think this is sort of where you see the rise of the democratic ideals towards collectivism. It's like individualism can only take us so far and we need to look after each other. And that's sort of the collective ethos, which gets them branded for being leftists and socialists and <laughs> communists. And and I don't think it has to be that binary, but this is how people are starting to see things. You know, it's like everyone look after themselves versus we need to look after each other. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that then leads to into domains that, you know, you and I have explored you know, extensively in our own work and together in the conversations that we've had previously, you know, around humility in leadership and an orientation towards purpose versus perhaps you know, sort of more celebration of achievement and success that is basically the sort of the pinnacle and all that you're aiming for a couple of things that were going through my mind as, as you were relating that and i love your term gnawing you know, <laughs> i i always have these couple of salient you know sort of terms that come out of any dialogue with you and gnawing is definitely a takeaway from this one straight away i love that but yeah i think you know if you if you look at what is celebrated and this is not just an american thing by any means but i think the the american sort of personification of this is the most almost gratuitous it's let's look at this thing and then typically in the same breath led by this person right it's apple jobs it's amazon bezos you know it's tesla and so on and so on right good on musk so what you do see sometimes and I'll just pick on Zappos as a comparison, is a contrast with that where it's a celebration of entity, but quite often relating to customers and suppliers as sort of being the linchpins of the success of the entity. And then it's team and community in comparison to entity that did it all by themselves. And well, of course, the customers needed them and the suppliers just do what they're told and individual versus we got there by really serving our customers and focusing on you know, that side of it. And we really look after our suppliers. And it's not just any individual leader, it's the whole team and it's the community that wraps around the team. And again, I could pick a couple of key phrases out of Biden's, we could probably now refer to it as a victory speech, but um, you know, <laughs> one of the half dozen or so speeches that he's made as we've sort of shuffled towards the, the conclusion one of the operative phrases in there was how he framed, you know, sort of his approach to his anticipated term as president, you know, being all around moving the US towards an era of prosperity and purpose and really kind of chaining those two things together, you know, whereas a lot of the language. That's nice. I didn't hear that piece. That's really good. So it's not one or the other, it's both, which I think is the bridge that we need to help get over the binaries that's great yeah yeah whereas trump's language tends to be much more about dominance and control and you know making great which is this very very curious you know very sort of abstract term but it's absolutely always about us and and, and sort of you know holding and you know sort of defense mentality you know whereas biden's about reaching out and togetherness and joining and journeying i think those are the more adjectives that i would use to describe his approach so as you're describing these different patterns, so this is what I've been 
chewing where? <laughs> gnawing here. <laughs> chewing, gnawing, digesting. I've looked at this whole dynamic through the lens of values uh, evolution. So using the spiral dynamics model, which is based on the work of Claire Graves, which talked about that individuals and societies have an evolution of values, which are, it's a transcendent and include model, which means that they go through to certain stages and we take the earlier stages with us. And as things change, our values can shift and change. And there is a progression going from survival values to start off with, and then belonging values as we work out that we're safer together. And then there's power values where we realize that we need somebody to lead the troops or lead the group to get something done which is where we see the forefront of the hero leader kind of thing. That is a cast or what Trump is latching onto in that way. I'm the hero leader. I can save the day. It's all about me. And then from there, we have a shift away from the excesses of power that arise through that set of values to rule of, of rules and law and order. It's sort of like, let's temper all that energy of power with something useful. It's interesting that Trump has also bashed himself as the law and order president. He's also the hero and the law and order president. So he's got those values being primed amongst his base. And then from there, we move into achiever values, which are about wealth and success and so on. So a lot of the language, as you hear me describe it, is Trump language, that power, rule, law and order and wealth, ambition, uh, progress. And then there's this tipping point into the next stage which is not that common, I guess, or less common than the previous ones, which is described, which is into that sense of social responsibility, which has a leftist feel to it, but it is social, communal, looking after each other, recognizing each other's perspectives, value of diversity and inclusion. And this is all the language and focus of the Biden and Democrats. And, Democrats. and that's where I see the real tension. There's all the earlier stages of value systems at play and active and very vocal and important at odds with this leading emerging edge of social community diversity and inclusion. And they see each other as opposites. And what's disappointing in some ways is that the Democrats are so, not all Democrats, those who resonate with that kind of that social community look after one another paradigm can be very judgmental. And it's one of the Achilles heel of that particular stage, judgmental of everybody else who's not there with them. So if you're not into diversity and inclusion, you're an asshole, <laughs> which is what we're hearing. You know, they're calling their, their fellow Americans, all these ridiculous terms. We heard it from Hillary Clinton describing them as deplorables. We hear them being called fascist. We hear them being called ignorant. We hear them being called the backwater. This is no way to build bridges. And I think there's a deficit in that kind of leading edge thinking or value system that doesn't appreciate all the value set that came before, because there are healthy iterations of power, healthy iterations of rule of law and order and healthy iterations of achievement and success. And I love that you picked out that Biden's trying to pick out the positive pieces where he's saying it's prosperity and purpose. So prosperity can be a healthy thing and not just, you know, success for its own sake or money for its own sake. So this is what I'm seeing. It's a war of value systems and cultures from that point of view. Have you explored any of that sort of thing in your thinking around this, like a values dynamic from a developmental perspective? Oh, look, I think you've absolutely nailed that. I think the crux of what is the pivot point, you know, in this sort of, you know, swaying, is it a scales? Is it a, 
a hill that you know must be reached, which is you know, the kind of pinnacle of utopian society. We're trying to march up it from two sides and both sides kind of stumbling on the way up. Sorry, banana analogy. Don't know where that came from. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think values is. Yeah, we've we've spoke about values at length before. Yeah, I think there's there's a real danger in, especially when it comes to leadership, from sort of simplifying down to well, you must have purpose and you must have values. And I think the danger is in simplifying them is not recognizing that purposeful leadership and values led leadership aren't necessarily going to lead to the outcome that's desired by everybody. Oh, tell me more about that. What do you mean? <laughs> so I've had this debate with a couple of people over the, the last few months. If you reduce you know, sort of a purpose down to something as simple as saying that it's an orientation towards a higher calling, right? That it is, it is simply serving something greater than you. Okay. Uh, well, that could be a lot of things. And we could look at some of the most inspirational visionary leaders of the last century who absolutely succeeded in orchestrating monumental change and gathering a lot of energy and effort and people's value systems towards a purpose that was greater than the individual, but that that purpose now historically would be viewed as essentially corrupt and extremely negative for human progress if we look at people like hitler or stalin or you know, the the sort of the activities that happen with various different leaders in in asia let's just pick on pol pot right like if you use a very simplistic definition of purposeful leadership those guys would actually qualify where you just need to add one little interesting dose to the recipe and then you completely change the outcome is intentions and if you declare what the intentions are and if you make the intentions not necessarily benevolent, but good intentions, so the intention is to save or the intention is to improve or the intention is to contribute or give or uplift, which is a controversial term, but you know, then the value system tends to be more celebrated in the long term as having a collective benefit and then being of purpose and serving a higher purpose and being a purposeful leader you would be then equating to people more like mandela or i don't know i'm struggling for some reason to come up with more good examples to bad ones might throw the ball to you to do that <laughs> i got two things I think it's um, purposeful leadership. So yeah, you're, you're right. You can set set a goal to achieve an outcome, but it has radical negative impact. And I think intention where it's filtered with ethics is the important piece. And ethics comes from that law and order stage. In the spiral dynamic, it's got a color associated with its blue. Blue police force kind of thing. That ethical framework is something that helps us make better decisions. So the other thing I would say, it's like the other filter I put on to what makes good leadership is to assess the consequences, Yeah. in which case that throws out Paul Potts and it throws out Hitler. You know, what are the consequences of your in, <laughs> of your leadership? Pretty negative for many. Yeah. Uh, and I think, um, so we apply that, that principle, and that's sort of what I teach in the leaders that I work with too, when we're developing perspective, is it's not just about what you gain for yourself and your mob that you're leading. It's what are the long-term impacts for yourself, your group, and other people, the ripple effect. Yep. And I think the ripple effect is pretty important. So, you know, coming back to what next for the U.S. and what next for Biden, assuming there is no coup 
and he does, and the elections are certified as free and fair and valid. And he takes over January 20th and he's now the president with his amazing vice president, Kamala Harris. What do they need to do? You know, they've got four years to unite the country. Can they do it? And where should they start? So if you were <laughs> advising them, what would you say? Okay. I'm really looking forward to your version of, uh, of a response to the question that you've just posed. <laughs> I'm just going to say that right now. But uh, yeah, like if I was to get the call from Joe's chief of staff and say, right, Tim, we've, we've heard about you and the work that you've been doing. And we're also going to be talking to that fabulous woman, Zoe Routh, but we, we'd like to get your thoughts on what our first, let's just say 120 days should look like. I think there'd probably be three things I'd say do, and there'd be probably one thing I'd say don't do as much of right now. Because there's probably one thing in particular, which has concerned me about some of the not the intention, but the prioritization of one specific thing uh, that I'll come to. So I think the three things would be, obviously, right now we have you know one hyper prevalent issue, which is get COVID under control and to make it very contemporary, but like that just needs to be done. So whether that's do something radical like what's been done in Melbourne, which would upset a lot of people, but ultimately is proven time and time again to fix this scenario in the short term if four months is short term but yet you have to get this very very toxic issue from a health and a well-being and a structure and an economic perspective under control as fast as possible and i'd be aiming for zero spread by i don't know may june at the latest assuming that a vaccine hasn't been rolled out across the whole of the united states by that time uh second thing would be set out the plan with as much detail as you can, communicate it explicitly, repeatedly, and in language that is completely absorbable to all, and make it very clear what the benefits are of the plan for as many people as possible. I think right now the US as much, but probably more than most countries is suffering from a real lack of certainty and confidence. And I think just simply knowing what the plan is will start to assuage those two things. Yeah, I could point to any number of leaders, but you know, Jacinda Ardern, Angela Merkel, and I'll pick on an American, Gavin Newsom. I think those three have all really excelled at art clearly articulating a plan and continually updating the plan. The third thing I think then for me really would be be present, be visible, be human, be humble, anticipate and announce that you will be learning on the go because there are so many complex variables in the equation and let people see that that's exactly what you're doing. The thing that I'd say probably just kind of hold back on a little bit and potentially do a little bit less of right now is the conversation about unity. And I think this is potentially the most sort of incendiary comment I'm going to make today if there are Americans tuning into this because you, you're living in the United States, right? Like by definition, you should be of union. But I think we actually would need to accept that right now, that's not viable at a societal level in the next short period of time. I think acknowledging the volatility of perspectives and value systems being completely disassociated, let alone misaligned, um, and acknowledging that there's real work to do at the community level and bringing people just one step closer together and then iteratively, progressively doing that to reach a point where you can then actually renegotiate a union. 
I would make union part of the plan and unity part of the agenda, but I would acknowledge that it's a way away because I think that's the only point in Biden's language which has been really strongly opposed so far. And I think that that's the reason for it is that people feel disassociated and they will resist any top-down sort of umbrella being dropped down saying, now you shall be united. That's not how human behavior works. We've got to unravel this very complex ball of thread that's put us in this situation and then we can start to realign those threads and then bind them back together. I agree with that. So with your assessment of terms of like, let's deal with the crisis. Oh, and the big one is the economic fallout of the crisis. Yeah, sure. You know, in terms of hierarchy of values, it comes back to that primal survival piece. And I think that needs to be addressed because people won't hear the conversation around unity because are they alive? A, yeah. they're not being killed by the virus. And B, do they have security, safe job, safe home, et cetera? So all the fundamentals for all the people need to be addressed with that. So that's sort of emergency care type of um, thing. I think with the unity language, I think you can still have that message as long as it's tempered with acknowledgement of what is. Sure. And then followed with the commitment to understanding and revealing people's pain and resistance to what's on offer and really getting to the heart of that and not being dismissive and not being derogatory towards them, I think is really important. I mean, I was listening to a news report the other day where the Trump supporters came out to protest and support their candidate and the, you know, pro-Democrats came out and they were just hurling insults at them, you know, and that is just, it's not on. It doesn't <laughs> doesn't build rapport. It doesn't build understanding. Uh, and I think that needs to stop. And I think when we are so outraged by what we see, it's easy to call them lunatics or crazies. And I find myself doing that too, going, that man is such a lunatic <laughs> or, or, or um, just reveling in the shock of the conversation or the attitude and so on. I think they're still humans. And I think that's what we need to hold true to. So, you know, my advice, should I be asked a bit <laughs> for Kamala and Biden is unity language, yes, and let's get down and dirty. And I think into what is really going on. And my next piece of advice would be, let's take an x-ray. Let's take an x-ray of the presenting behaviors. And I use Richard Hames's model of the iceberg, which looks at presenting problems, which are the surface of the iceberg. And then you start to unpack the layers that drive that behavior. I use it in human behavior called the human volcano. But underneath that are patterns of behavior. Underneath that are systems that create patterns of behavior. So the electoral system has got some driving motivators. The rule of law and order has some driving motivators. Higher education system has some fallout that isn't helpful for the, for the whole of the country. So does healthcare. It's so looking at systems and then underneath that, is you look at the values, you know, what are our values truly as a nation? What does this mean for the way that we devised our systems? And can we do any work around highlighting, dialing up or dialing down some of those values? And I think when we start to look at that, then there's a chance of long-term change. Do people have an appetite for talking about values change in the middle of this kind of crisis? Don't know, but I think that's behind the scenes work that can happen with the messaging. That's why I think the unity conversation is important because 
it will help soothe the way forward, I think. Yeah, no, I think I, you know, you're exactly right. I, I think unity, as I said, needs to be part of the plan and it needs to be ultimately the destination and it needs to be on the agenda. Again, it's as an observation, it's been particularly interesting that that's the one thing that people have kind of thrown out, thrown back. You know, people on the other side of the aisle have gone, well, yeah. we can't, we can't, we would, what are you talking about? You've been so offensive to us yeah. because, of course, they've said nothing offensive whatsoever uh, yeah, during the last term. But, yeah, no, that's great. Hey, can we just very quickly just talk about, you know, we've had a moment of unity on each other's podcast. Can we just give a bit of a quick update as to what you've got in store on your podcast? And I can share a little bit about what's coming from my side. Yeah. I actually have a strategy for next year, <laughs> <laughs> which is amazing. It's moved from a half an intention to actual real strategy in terms of how I want to take listeners on a journey next year. And um, we're going to have quarterly themes and the quarterly themes will be mirroring what I'm doing in my amplifiers group, which is my high level leadership program. And so each quarter we're going to explore the theme and the quarter that will start what's well, kind of a mini quarter. It will start like December. We're going to drop a whole bunch of episodes around project you and it's real looking at self. So looking at one's own performance and self mastery. So there'll be, a bunch of solo sods that will tide us through January as I go and have a break <laughs> so people can, you know, purge, not purge them. What's that thing where you consume everything very quickly? Binge. Yeah. <laughs> not binge and then purge. The ultimate consumption strategy. Just <laughs> inhale as much as possible. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's January. And then the theme will kick off. For February through to May, our quarterly theme is multipliers, basically. How do we develop leadership in others? And so my intention for the each quarter then is to interview expert authors on topics that are relevant to the theme, to interview leaders who are doing that work specifically. So I'll interview leaders on the ground about how do you develop people in your business? How do you develop leaders in your business? And then a couple of solo sods to help set up and process the quarter and a couple of book reviews. So it's going to be changing up the flavoring. So you get a little bit of a smorgasbord of kind of content around centered around a theme. So that's what's coming up on my podcast next year. How about you? What's going on with you? Well, I'll tell you in a moment, but first of all, that sounds awesome. You know, I'm an avid consumer of what you do on your podcast. So I will very much look forward to all of that. So for us, we're obviously, we're a little bit newer in this podcast lark than you are, but we've had a, a successful, I'd say, sort of experiment with our first two seasons this year. Uh, and thank you uh, for your contribution uh, in your episode. So we're probably going to do two things the same, two things differently. We're going to have two seasons where we'll have that classic sort of weekly run medium form conversation and within those conversations you know they'll be sort of curated to be a learning journey with some specific action points spread throughout but particularly at the end and then we're in the sort of the off season at the moment so this that you're listening to right now is the first of a sort of a, a run of intermissions so these intermissions are going to be part retrospective and part for would looking so we'll have those through till march and then like you although i haven't quite nailed the definition yet but i think i'm moving towards having themes for two seasons that if i put myself on the spot 
I'm going to say right now we're going to pick up a theme that came from what was the most popular episode in season two, which was the conversation around natural systems for leadership and organizational design. And that that was this dichotomy between doing things better and doing better things. So I'm going to take the doing better things and sort of wrap that up with some of the concurrent themes that have come about failure or tolerance for and sort of nurturing innovation and sort of being prepared to be provocateur, provocatrix as a leader for bold shifts and changes and really engaging, similar to you, that spread of you know doers that are in it right now, leaders who've been there, done that, and, and experts who can speak to the models and the theory and the empiricism for that kind of stuff. So how do you take bold steps to do things that are better? And then the second season potentially flowing off the back of that, but arguably would work equally well in independence, is about sustaining change. So a lot of the behavioral you know, triggers for kind of keeping going, sustaining others on a change, and how do you manage it in yourself? And of course, all of that, doing better things and sustaining change is for us always about how can we make the world better as leaders doing those two things. So that's a little bit of what's in store, I think. Yeah, that sounds great. I got stuck on provocatrix. It sounds like dominatrix. <laughs> Get your whip out. Woohoo! <laughs> okay. Well, that's, that says more about you than me, perhaps, Zoe, but that's fine. <laughs> the brain is associative. That's true. <laughs> but I think that'll be awesome. <laughs> well, I'm doing all the dominatrix bit. <laughs> No, you're going to need a new outfit for that segment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, come back and, and see see what we've got in store. Absolutely. Okay, very good. Uh, Zoe, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure and I will always look forward to more interactions with you. Thanks, Tim. This has been awesome. I look forward <laughs> to a future collaboration with or without special outfits. <laughs> absolutely. Done deal. <laughs> Well, that was a fun conversation. It was such a good idea we had the two of us to talk leadership in U.S. politics. And it's something that we'll do occasionally, I'm guessing, from time to time next year. I have a high regard for Tim and his work and his podcast is excellent. Better World Leaders is what it's called. And I guess sort of thinking about our conversation, what I got out of it, one of the things that's sort of sticking with me a little bit is his observation that Biden's message of unity is not landing the way that he hoped. And I think this is really important to think about because often we have aspirations that our grandiose visions will be, of course, inspiring to others. And what we really need to do is to meet people where they are, not where we are. And if we look at where people are through the lens of either leadership maturity or through the lens of spiral dynamics and values uh, development, then we can get a better sense of what is front of mind and not just front of mind, but front of life for people and talk to them from that point of view. And uh, gradually, if we get our needs met and our values met at those stages, then we can start talking about the bigger picture and what's next. But we can't jump too far ahead. Otherwise, we run the risk of leaving people behind. All right. So that's my reflections on what happened. My invitation to you is we've got some amazing stuff coming up still in the podcast for this calendar year. Some amazing leaders we're speaking to. I think this week on Thursday coming out is 
amazing interview, oh, this is so good, with Chris Sinog, who is a former U.S. Navy SEAL. And uh, I've always wanted to talk to a real live U.S. Navy SEAL, and here he is. And so you got that to look forward to next week and a couple amazing interviews still to finish off the year. And then in January, this is a special sneak preview, we are running a crash course, I guess, on Project U. This is a theme in my Amplifiers program, which is my high-level leadership program, which we are still onboarding and taking people on board for the start of the year in February. You can attend virtually. So wherever you are in the world, you can be part of the Amplifiers group. Just email me if you want details, or you can have a look at my website at zoerath.com to see what Amplifiers is all about. But on the podcast, we are going to, I'm going to load up in the last week of December, a course, a nine session series, I think it's about nine sessions on Project U. So you can gorge on it all at once if you like, or meter it out through December and January. And then we'll be back with a new format on the podcast for the first quarter of the year, starting in February. Okay, so that's a little heads up, what to look out for. Do consider joining us for Amplifiers. I'm always on the lookout for amazing leaders who want to take their leadership to a whole new level, who are really ready for influencing on a larger, bigger scale. Okay, well, that's it from me. Enjoy where you are. And in the meantime, live well, lead well.